Siobhan Gray, welcome back. Good to be back. Good to be here. Hey, it's great to know that we're going to be talking about building abundant success and our worth in Christ. Many times Absolutely. I think we uh, we don't uh, really honor that as much as we should. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that, um, you know, our relationship with Christ and understanding who He is and what we've received, uh, I believe is one of the most powerful things that we can ever do. Can really, it changes our lives. Yes, indeed. And I know that having that worth in Christ and uh, in, in moving forward in any type of success, business, life success, daily success, especially our soul, I wanted you to talk about the soul and our worth in Christ because I think that people don't understand what that soul-spirit connection is. And if we don't have that as our base, we're we're lost. Yeah, I mean, the the key to everything in life um, is not just having information, but understanding it and really understanding how... You know how how things are put together. Like you, you, you know, you get a car, and I, well, a computer is a better uh, analogy of it. And the thing we have to understand is your pleasure from getting from using that computer is only going to come once you totally understand how to use it. The better you get to understanding how to use that computer, the more likely you are to enjoy it. So the same thing applies to things like our own lives, but specifically with the Bible. And that is, the more we get to understand it. The more we understand what we receive from it, the better we're going to enjoy it. The more we'll want to read it, the more we'll want to know about it, and we'll want to know about the author, and we'll want to know about all the folks that are in that book and how it applies to our lives. And that's kind of the key to everything is is knowledge, but then obviously wisdom and understanding. Now, the Bible talks about our soul prospering. And, uh, you know, they talk about that in the, the third, third John 1, 2. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how to prosper, be in good health as our soul prospers. But the soul is talked about in many ways. Uh, but it also always goes back to, you know, spirit, health, and well-being. Can you talk about that? Well, as far as what the soul is concerned, you know, you, you think about it, it's the very inner being of us. It's the very knowing of who we are. And it's really, what I find is that our, in, our, in our soul, it's the essence of who we are our will, our desires, our you, your, our your emotions, everything wrapped up into that. It's like your core, if you will, just like you have a core in your body uh, that, you know, when you're working out, it's important you want to strengthen the core. And the soul is that core, if you will, of our entire existence. It's the one thing that, you know, and we feed the soul uh, with the Spirit of God. We feed it the Word of God, and we build that core up to the point where we have resistance to things that are not good to us, but also the strength to stand and do the things that we must do. And so that soul is, is really, to me, is the key of everything about who we are. It's, it's everything. And as we begin to feed it information, and I like to talk about, you know, when you were saved, your soul was saved. And so what, so what about the soul changed? And it's basically, there was new information given to you, or I should say a re- giving of information to you that strengthens the core, strengthens your very being uh, to have a better understanding of who you are, what you're doing here on this earth, and how powerful you really can be uh, once you begin to understand that. The scripture goes, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper 
and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, in our soul prospering and being in good health and whatnot, uh, it also talks about in the next verse after three about walking in truth. Hmm. Truth. Very, very important. It's talking about a lot of different things that the soul uh, needs to, to, to really be healthy about. Truth. And that's God. Yeah, it's absolutely God. And it's, it's the Word of God mm-hmm. that allows us to understand what truth really is. Here's the thing we always have to remember. If there's truth, that means there also exists a lie. Mm-hmm. And if you think about your life and you think about who you are right now, who you are is based upon choices that you made. And those choices that you made were based upon information that you had. And that information is very important that it's either truthful information or it was a lie. And based on whatever it was you believed it to be, that's how you made your choice. Whatever you believe to be true, we're always looking for truth. But there's the difference between what really actually is true, the Word of God, and what's really a lie. And we know where the lie comes from. It comes from the father of lies. And we know the one thing he never wants you to do is to really understand who you are. He does not want you to understand what you received when you were saved, for instance, when you came up to the front or however your particular church does that, and and when they call for salvation and you come up and you receive it. He wants to still keep you ignorant of the fact of what you just received. Because uh, you, you think about, like I said about the computer, if there's parts, and I'm sure we've all gone through this before, where somebody was trying to figure something out on our computer or a program or something, and then somebody comes along and says, oh, all you really needed to do was this, 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 and this. And the thing that we just spent the last hour and a half trying to figure out, somebody taught it to us in 10 seconds. It was a matter of the information and what we believe to be truth and what was not true. And the the essence of our lives, the, or I should say the quest of our lives, is to always be searching for truth. Because there's really only two things out there. There are the things that are true, and there are the things that are lies. And mm. they make the difference between the way we make our choices, how we live our life, and the quality of our life, more importantly. Hmm. Now, you're mentioning quality of life. It's interesting. I'm, I'm studying um, Isaiah 45.3, and mm. then I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches, riches stored in secret places. He's talking about giving us favor. And he's mm-hmm. talking about also another scripture I'd been reading and studying upon is the 61st, uh, 61st and 3rd, uh, 61st chapter and 3rd verse of Isaiah. And it says, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair, and in their righteousness they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Uh, I've been studying those scriptures of, you know, because we're talking about truth. We're mm-hmm. talking about truth. We're talking about God being able to make uh, a way out of no way. Yeah, we've mm-hmm. heard that, that saying, you know, and, and, and uh, also us prospering and being and knowing who we are in Christ, this is what he will do for us. Can you speak to those chapters? Well, absolutely. And, and what I'll do, and obviously in the Old Testament, what it tends to do is to relate to things that are going to later be talked about, obviously, in the, in the New Testament in many ways. Mm-hmm. Specifically talking about how God loves his creation. 
and he loves what he made. He loves. Matter of fact, he made man, and he he made the earth obviously first, and and did all the different things that he did and created around the earth. Then it says he made man, and he placed us in a specific place. He placed us in a garden. He put us in a place to enjoy the other things he had created. So clearly, God wants us to be not only prosperous and fruitful and multiply, which he told us, but to be fruitful and multiply, but he gave us the tools to do it. He literally gave us the environment. He created us and then gave us creation and told us to the rule over it, have dominion over it, and to, rule, and to just basically tend to the things he had made, but enjoy it. And so that's important. That's the first step for us to know that God always has our best interest at heart. But here's the kicker. And leading up through all the prophets, to include Isaiah, the thing that I love, and it's in, it's in John, the Gospel of John, and it's, it's really the eye-opening thing that begins this process. And actually, it, it talks about this throughout John, but it says here, and I'm going to read this real quick in John, in its chapter, first chapter in its verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the, and here we go with the right, because you were talking about righteousness, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name. So what's he saying here? He's saying to those who believe that he was sending this Christ, sending Jesus Christ to this earth, and this man who we call Jesus, who walked this earth, is the Son of God. To those who believe that, you're adopted into the family. Mm-hmm. You're literally he's saying that you may not even, because he was talking at the beginning, he says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. There were obviously people in the culture of that time, in the Jewish culture, who, who rejected Jesus. Mm-hmm. They rejected him. They didn't think he was the guy. You even heard people later on would say, can anything even come from, from Nazareth? Anything good come from that place? So they mm-hmm. did not recognize who he was. They didn't understand what it was he was saying about himself. And when he said certain things, they said, well, these He's blasphemy. He's doing things that are just totally out of character. It's totally not even even real. Basically, he's lying. But what he was saying to those who believe he is who he say he is, they were to be adopted as sons and daughters of God because of what they believe. So the key to our we were talking about the solar. The key to that, the key to believing that we are the righteousness of Christ, is our belief system. And we have to understand that the thing we gained at salvation was that adoption into his family. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, okay, you're saved, stamp the, you know, put a stamp on, the, on that passport and you're good to go. You're on your way to heaven. It wasn't just that. It was literally us being brought into a family, which we originally were members of with Adam and Eve. We began as a, we, he literally even began us as a symbolic representation of heaven, of his relationship. He said, I'm going to make man, I'm going to make woman. You both are to be fruitful and multiply. And oh, by the way, I made you in my image and likeness. So when we lost all of that after the fall, we lost the consciousness of that. He brings his son to this planet. Let's him die on the cross. And for everyone who believed in what he did and what he said, he said, you are now, you, you've been given this information again through the Holy Spirit. You are readopted in. You are now children of the Most High. That's a powerful thing for wow. us to understand. I mean, that is, you, you're no longer, imagine if you found out tomorrow, you, you went on the Ancestors.com, I think the Ancestry.com or Ancestors.com, whichever one it is. You went on the Ancestry.com and somehow you found out you 
of all people, were directly related to George Washington. Wow. It would change your, not so much, it wouldn't change your bank account or anything. Nothing would change except your perspective, how you saw things. Wow, I, I come from that. I'm no longer just this or that. I'm, I'm related to the founding father of this country. It would change your viewpoint. That's right. It would change, would it change you? It would change your thinking. So what changes in us when we receive that salvation? You're the same person as far as your look. Your, your hair didn't grow. Uh, you, you didn't get a glow about you. The, the halo ain't flying over your head. What changed? Your thinking. That's why he says to be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. Your mind. So renewing, it means it was new at one time, but you forgot it, so it had to be renewed. Renewed. Mm-hmm. And once upon a time, we were already surrected. We were already walking upright with the right mindset. We lost it, so what did he have to do? He had to be resurrected. Mm-hmm. And we were resurrected. And, and you think about all the, the REs, if you were the reads of the Bible. Things had to be redone. A renewal of mindset. And because of that, now we are adopted as children of the Most High God. That means we walk around with a different mindset about life. We don't even approach life anymore the way other people do, who haven't realized this yet. And that's actually the good news. The good news is it's who you really are. Powerful Wow. Wow. And it should change the way we, you know, look at our lives. But here's the kicker. It should also change the way you look at other people. And that's what causes us to treat other people differently. When we realize that, wow, I'm, I'm the, we like to go around and we like to say that I'm the child of the most high. I'm the, but we also got to realize if I am, and my, this person sitting next to me also claims the same God, so are they. And even the ones who don't know it, so are they, because they just haven't realized it yet. Changes the way we deal with Think. each other. It's renewing of our mind, and renewing of mind renews the soul. It renews the soul. And therefore, when Jesus, for instance, he's talking about even your soul prospering. What is that talking about? He talked about health first, so that's the physical mm-hmm. side of us. You know, that's got to, we got to improve on that. We got to eat, drink, sleep, all that other stuff. But he talks about our soul prospering. How does your soul prosper? By simply knowing more about who you really are. Mm-hmm. That's how your soul prospers. Prosper means it gets bigger and better and bigger and better. So what's he saying? We need to just know more about who we are. And that prospers the soul. It changes our character. It changes our integrity. And the way I always remind my, try to remind myself of this now is, I heard somebody put this very eloquently a while ago, and that was the Ten Commandments. We see them as commandments or rules. God sees them as, think of, a, of, a, of an elite crack um, military unit, Green Berets or the Rangers or something like that. They have a code of conduct mm-hmm. the, of the way they act, of the way they do things, and the way they, they respond to situations. Stressful. So even when you're in the army, I was in the army for 12 years. They give you a code of conduct as an officer. So it's not so much a rule. It's this is who we are now. And when you look at the commandments from that standpoint, it's no longer a set of binding rules that just keep you pressed down. Now it becomes the pride of you, the code of conduct, if you will. We just don't act that way. We don't do these things because of who we are and eliteness about us 
that says we're different from what the world expects. That's what those commandments are even for. And so that changes our viewpoints of life, and it should give us a new perspective of how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to treat our brothers and sisters. Wow, you just mentioned something powerful. What's that? You're supposed to love Christ, and you're supposed to serve your brothers and sisters. Um, many people get to the loving Christ, but the brother and sister part as <laughs> yourself is left out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard for us to realize this because we spend so much time on, you know, God, God loves me. Show me your love. Show me how. You, it's all about getting the way we show God's love or the way we realize that God's love is even in us is we have to give it to somebody else. And the more you do that, the easier it becomes to see the God in you and the God that is in other people, really, because if it's passing on, if both of us are doing the things we're supposed to be doing as Christians, as as children of the Most High, if you will, then there's a there's a sense of shared uh, camaraderie, if you will. And I always like to say that there's, you know, there's um, a progression of relationship that you see in the Gospels. First, and you know, I believe this is in John where, where it talks about it, but basically you go from being a curious person to being a disciple to being a friend to being a brother. Mm-hmm. And the way God, and I'll even show you, you remember, if you will, at the beginning of it, some people were, at, I mean, there were some, some young men who were going to become disciples. Or he, they were basically saying, where are you even at? Where are you living? And he, said, he said, why don't you come and see? Because he saw they were curious. And it says they left everything. Eventually, they talked about this throughout the Bible. They left everything. They became disciples. A disciple wasn't just somebody who went to church on Sunday. A disciple left everything and literally ate, slept, uh, you know, drank, think like the person they're following. They became this other person, if you will, slowly but surely. And so we see the relationship change from that to disciples. And then later on, before he gets crucified, he says, I no longer call you servants. You're no longer just serving me as disciples. He says, because a servant doesn't know the master's plan. I call you friends because I've told you everything. So now we're into a more intimate relationship. Where mm-hmm. now you're no longer just a follower of me who's curious. Now you've become a friend because I've shared with you and taught you everything that I know. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to the next level after the crucifixion and after he's been buried and raised from the dead again. And this is in John 20, actually. It's in John 20 and it's 17. And Jesus says this, and I'm going to read it real quick. It says, he's talking to Mary Magdalene. And she's mm-hmm. the first person really to see him after he's been raised from the dead. And Jesus, he says, Jesus said to her, this is verse 17, Do not cling to me. Don't touch me. For I have not yet ascended to my Father. That's an important thing, but I'll go back to that later. But go to, and here we go, my brethren. So they're no longer disciples, not even friends. They've elevated to another level. He says, now go tell my brethren and say to them, now watch this connection of relationship. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He's saying right there that I have now completed this process. And I'm going to I'm give you your relationship back here. My 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 dad basically and your dad. We're all in the same family now. My God, the one I serve and the one you serve. Mm-hmm. So the relationship now is completed 
to where it's supposed to be. And he's saying, don't cling to me. Why is he saying not to cling to him? Because they would later say in Hebrews, I believe it's Hebrews 4, it talks about him ascending back to heaven, to the throne, to, to sit on the right hand of the throne, to be the high priest. Right. Who when we want to approach, says that he's a high priest who understands the way we live. He's, he's been through all the trials, the tribulations, the temptations. He understands it all. So we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand who we are. He understands everything about us. And it says because of this, because of our belief in this, that we can now approach the throne boldly. That's a powerful thing. What he's saying is, is there should be nothing now to restrict you from God. There's no longer a hindrance. And that, therefore, gives us the opportunity now to truly, through prayer and through our readings, and you know, really getting that peace through prayer, we have an established, peaceful relationship with the God who has created everything on the earth. And he's waiting for you to simply say, I believe. And he's waiting for you to begin to trust him in a relationship that takes you past curious, past disciple, past even a friend, to his son. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful thing. It is very powerful. I was um, going to bring up the chapter of Mark twelve thirty one, and it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when you cross-reference and go back to Leviticus 19.18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What, and, you know, it's, 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 I always like to remind myself that it's impossible for me to love God the way he loves me. Matter of fact, it even That's says this right. in 1 John. It talks about not that he first loved that we first loved him, but he first loved us. Loved us. Mm-hmm. And once you receive that, and you really become more aware, and I think that's a love that continues to just grow for the rest of our lives. I don't think you're ever going to get to that point where you say, "Well, I just totally understand it." I, I just mm-hmm. don't think that happens because it's so yeah, I don't abundant. Think it happens either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's too abundant. And so, because of that, you're always growing in that, which means we should always be growing in love for mankind. So when he talks about loving your neighbor as yourself, here's the key to that. If we can't love God to the fullness that he loves us, that means we have to receive it first and understand the importance he has for us. And based upon that, he says, that's the equality or equal level, if you will, that you're supposed to love your neighbor. So it's very hard, people may try it, but it's very hard to love someone else if you don't have a good understanding of who you are and how much he really loves you. The, and here's the key, because in that scripture further down, you know, that he's talking to a, um, uh, basically a, script, a, a, a person who in our day would be considered a lawyer. Mm-hmm. He says to them, he basically comes and says, well, who's my neighbor? Mm-hmm. Trying to trap him, like, who, who's my neighbor? Mm-hmm. In other words, who is this person I'm supposed to be loving like this? And the, I think it would, have, it would have shocked anybody who he refers to. He starts talking about a Samaritan, the Good Samaritan mm-hmm. story, as we know it. Basically, at the end of this, the whole story was about two people who normally wouldn't even talk to each other. Mm-hmm. A person who's a Hebrew and a person who's a Samaritan. They didn't like each other for many different that's reasons. That's right. That's specifically where they worshipped at and other different things. They were seen, seen as unclean. Samaritans were seen as unclean. 
You touch one, you had to basically wash yourself because they were considered unclean. So here you had the Samaritan taking pity on someone else who he normally wouldn't even speak with. And so what we find is our neighbor is not the person we like. He's saying you're supposed to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and your neighbor as yourself. That same level of love is supposed to go to another person who you do not know and potentially may not even be your friend. could be somebody who's considered an enemy. And that's where we get tripped up. Because if there's one thing in this world, we've got plenty of money in this world. We can solve whatever. If money was the answer, we could solve it several times over. If it were intelligence, we could serve it infinitely because there are some highly intelligent people. Mm -hmm. But the hardest thing to do is to love somebody you don't even know. Mm. With the same level as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. Or somebody you do know and love like a child or a a parent or somebody else. But that's the level of love that God is requiring of us. And he says it is possible, but you need him to do it. It, it is it is very much possible to do, and we all have to. And the thing about it is, is that we all have to grow in that. So nobody can ever say, well, I've arrived. No, we, we have to constantly, constantly depend on, on, on God. We have to constantly depend on the model that Jesus set for us. To love somebody like that. He gave all so that we could have all. And you can't beat that. <laughs> Not yeah. with a stick. And so that's our model, but it's one we're ever striving for. We'll never reach it, but we're mm-hmm. ever striving for it, and we're ever getting better at it, and we're ever getting a better revelation of how much God loves us. And that's what causes us to give thanksgiving. It causes us to worship. It causes us to try to live right. It causes everything else. That's where the love comes in. First John four seven says that it says the love let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now <laughs> I, I I heard the joke from a pastor who um was you know, just sort of talking about the, the love thing. And mm. he said, well, God doesn't love sinners. Well, you're a sinner. Mm. So I don't love you. But I wow. love these people over here. <laughs> so wow. Like, Whoa. So, you know, and that's how we can be. That's what we know. Because, but we're all sinners. We all right. have sinned and come, come short of the glory of God. Now, you know, and, and our worth in Christ and, 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 and loving one another, there are many other things that um, the Bible does does point out, of course, um, the the fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we we see the dark and the light, and that fruit of the spirit. When when God talks about that, I wanted you to get into those fruits of the spirit, but also I wanted you to talk about more of the worth that we may not know we have in Christ through those fruits mm-hmm. of the spirit. Yeah, the fruit, and it's actually, and I always remind myself, it's one fruit but many different characteristics of that fruit. That's right. It's it's not like there's a God of love, a God of peace, a God of love, of joy, uh, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kind of like there's a God for each one of these. God is one. And so it says God is love. Well, God also is peace. He's also, all of these things, if you can imagine this, God is, imagine biting into a fruit that has, multiple flavors but it has a hundred percent strength of each flavor. Mm-hmm. 
that's it's kind of hard to imagine if you will but the way i think think of a fruit punch you know you got all kinds of different fruits in that punch and pretty much if it's a if it's not one of these really cheap ones if it's a really nice fruit punch you can taste the flavor of everything but it's one it's one drink it's not like you're drinking seven i mean nine different you know juices you're drinking one juice it just has all of the ingredients in it and so God is all of those things at one time, at one time. And in order for us to be those things, we have to have his spirit. We must have the Holy Spirit. There's, there's, there's nothing more important to us being able to live. The, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen is you try to live this kind of a life on your own accord, on your own strength, and you're bound to fail. 